The following program is recorded content created by the Truth Network. Phone lines are wide open. You've got questions. We've got answers. It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, biblical scholar and cultural commentator, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice for moral sanity and spiritual clarity. Call 866-34-TRUTH to get on The Line of Fire. And now, here's your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome, welcome to the broadcast. You've got questions, we've got answers. Any subject of any kind that relates in any way to the line of fire. Anything having to do with Bible, theology, politics, culture, Israel. Any things we ever talk about on the broadcast. Any things a guest has ever talked about. Anything I've written about. Anything you want to challenge me on, probe me on, something you've heard, you want to verify, give me a call. 866-348-7884. That is the number to call. By the way, sometimes when we start the broadcast on a, on a Friday, on the end of the week, sometimes when we start, right at the outset, all the phone lines are filled, and they're filled the whole show. The moment one phone line opens, the next one is filled. And it's like that for the whole show, so it's, it's very challenging to get through. Other times, we have some openings right at the beginning especially. So this is a great time to call now, 866-348-7884. That's a great time to call because for whatever reason today, we've got some open lines. This way I'll be able to get to more of you more quickly. Um, okay, just... I've got somebody on hold. Okay, just trying to find out what that's about. Okay, a couple things before we get to your calls today. When I feel burdened about something, I will address it as I feel led to do. Something I see in the news, I feel to comment on. Something I see happening in the church. I do not sit around as the spiritual police chief. I I do not sit around... And my whole purpose is to just, okay, look at what's wrong here, look at what's wrong there, and find something to to write about or find something to attack. That's not my mindset. It is not my mentality, all right? My mentality is, Lord, I'm your servant. I'm your son. I'm here to do your will and to honor you. How can I serve? Am I supposed to write something? Am I supposed to address something? And when I feel led to do it, burdened to do it, directed to do it, I do it. I never do something just to stir up controversy, ever. I never, ever do something just to stir up controversy. That's completely immature. That's carnal. And what kind of fruit does that produce? We live in a society filled with controversy. We live in a society filled with confusion. Why on earth would I just want to stir up more controversy? You say, well, it gets more views. That, I, who's ever about that? Why would I be serving the Lord and seeking to honor him? And the whole goal is to get more views. Look, maybe the calling is your calling is to train five people in secret. And those five people will change your generation rather than someone who's a social media influencer with 50 million followers. All right. But many things that I do address draw all kinds of controversy. So be it. We will wade through the controversy, but we'll do so in a way that is constructive. Okay, with that, we go to the phones, starting with Stephen in central New York. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Hello, Dr. Brown. It's nice talking to you again. Well, great. Uh, 
Yeah, I uh, hope you're doing well. Um, I just have a, a quick comment, and then I have a question, kind of an unrelated question. Um, the comment is that um, you're, you often mention on the air that Trump provoked the January 6th insurrection, but um, the truth is that there was a video that I believe it was Project Veritas did, and it was they showed it right on Fox News on Tucker Carlson, where New York Times reporter Matthew Rosenberg says right in the video they honey-trapped him. He didn't know he was being recorded. He was quoted as saying there were a ton of FBI informants among the people. Oh, Stephen, let me just say, I'm fully aware of all the charges or Antifa did it. That's all that could be true or false is completely unrelated to my comments that President Trump, for whom I voted twice, President Trump's irresponsible rhetoric definitely tied in to what happened. I don't call it an insurrection. I call it the storming of the Capitol. But when you are the most powerful man on the planet, And when you are telling people, we've got to take this back, the election was stolen, we're going to fight like hell, when you're you're using terms like that with the power that you have, when he gets up after other speakers that day who were even more irresponsible and doesn't put a proper lid on it, you're going to get crazy people doing crazy things. So well, you don't know what you don't know what these these informants were were being paid to do or being told to do. But Stephen, they but here's the deal: there were multiplied tens of thousands of people there, and there were thousands and thousands of them who stormed the Capitol. Most were horrified. All my friends that were there were were shocked by what happened. And look, there is narratives and counter narratives. I've seen videos arguing for this, and I've seen videos arguing for something else, but I have seen with my own eyes the videos of many thousands of angry people, and they were absolutely not FBI informants or Antifa, et cetera. So either way, I stand by my comments about President Trump's irresponsible rhetoric. Look, I have, compared to him, I have a tiny audience. I am, if I'm preaching in a church and there are only 100 people there, the tiniest of audiences, right? Or I'm sitting with a group with 12 students I'm mentoring, I weigh every word thinking of the consequences of what I say. How much more when you're the most powerful person on the planet? Anyway, from that, your, your question. Okay. Go ahead, please. Yeah, my, yeah, my question, the, the famous quote um, that you've mentioned, that's been quoted many times, soon this life will pass, only what's done will cr- with, for Christ will last. I was wondering if you could explain that, how it pertains to the entertainment industry, um, particularly the music industry, um, different music artists, or um, even the entertainment industry. All right, so let me address that from the perspective of a believer. So for me, what I do in the course of my life has to make sense in the light of eternity. If, for example, I was being dropped off in a particular city and I had one hour to be there, and during that one hour, I was told, preach the gospel to as many people as you can. Let's say do for that one hour. 
If I was there for one week, well, now I need to think about sleeping. I need to think about eating. If I'm going to be there for a year, I have to think about working. If I'm going to be raising a family there, I have to think about other things. I'm going to be on my knees with my little toddler playing and, and having fun and, and having a date night with my wife, etc. So we don't live every second of every day just praying fervently and just preaching the gospel because we have to live our lives. We sleep, we eat, we have fellowship, we have friends, we need rest time, etc. So what we do should make sense in the light of eternity. So there can be wholesome entertainment that's part of life. You push hard with your job, you're busy with other things in ministry. Now, okay, just gonna chill for a little while with the family. Or it could be watching sports or something like that. However, if we come, become obsessed with things, if things become idols in our lives, if we end up spending hour upon hour upon hour wasting our time, that's a problem. In the same way with our music, if I'm going to listen to a lot of music, then I, I want that music to either directly glorify the Lord or bring a message that turns my heart to the Lord or that is something edifying and constructive as opposed to just being absorbed with it. Uh, simply for the sake of stewarding time. So that's the question I ask. What makes sense in the light of eternity? I had to discipline myself to slow down and to chill. I have to discipline myself if we're going to take a family vacation to, to get extra articles written, extra shows recorded, and then just focus on having fun with the family, which then I, I will really do. But otherwise, I'm always distracted by other things. So in the course of a life, let's say we're here 70, 80, 90 years, what makes sense in the light of eternity? That's how I want to live, and that's how I want to incorporate these other things. And ultimately, to the extent that the entertainment industry and music could have a God-centered mentality, then what they produce could be much more edifying and for our good. Hey, thank you for the call and the comment, and we may differ on our perspectives. Uh, that's fine. That's absolutely fine. 866-34-TRUTH. Let us go to Kathleen in Duncan, South Carolina. Welcome to the line of fire. Kathleen, are you there? Yes, I'm here. All right, go ahead, please. Hi, um, my name is Kathleen, and uh, I have a, a question and a prayer request. I'll give you my prayer request first. My prayer request is for my niece, who is a drug addict. Um, she ser has served jail time. She's out in rehab, but she only has a two-year probationary period, and, and the judge this time was very firm and said if she doesn't get clean or do something, because she's a bright girl, but she's stuck. I mean, she just, and so she she has to come back to the Lord or believe in the Lord. I know she believes in him, but she needs to be walking with the Lord. And I'm just asking for prayer that she can get release of this drug, of drug, period. All right, so Kathleen, yeah, we've got a bunch of folks listening and watching who are prayer warriors, and they will, they will pray for your niece, absolutely. Yeah, so go ahead then. Okay. With your question. Okay, and, and, and her name is Megan, by, by the way, Megan. Okay, my question is, I have a niece who is living a um, uh, lesbian sexual lifestyle, which I'm really up, upset with, but I don't, get, I don't tell her that because we live far, far from each other. But I want to know how I can handle it better. I just don't, 
I just don't handle it at all very well. But I cannot say anything because my family would just attack me like, well, they love each other, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, uh, that's not what the Bible says, you know. Right. You can d- love d- each other, but she, you don't love the same d- sex. Does she claim to be a follower of Jesus? No. Mm-mm. Right. So, so Kathleen, that's her whole issue. Whether she's lesbian, whether she's a nun in a convent, uh, whether she is, is sleeping with three different men, whether she's never had sex in her life, she needs Jesus. That's the only focus. She needs the Lord. She needs to come to the Lord. So pray for her salvation and she's, she's a lost person. And she may really care about the gal that she's with, but they're lost. They need the Lord. We're all lost in different ways, and we expressed our lostness in different ways. This is just a manifestation of the fact that she needs Jesus. Let that be your only focus, and God will cause other things to fall into place when she comes to him. Hey, thank you for your love and your concern for both your nieces. May the Lord touch them. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on The Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us on The Line of Fire. Be sure to visit vitaminmission.com, vitaminmission.com. Find out about the great health supplements that I take. My friend, Dr. Mark Stengler. Brilliant and always on top of the latest research, trying to get the best products to you. And again, our goal is to see you healthy and thriving, spiritually first and foremost, but physically as well. So go to vitaminmission.com. Be sure to use the special discount you'll find there as a listener to the line of fire. We go back to the phones, an anonymous caller from somewhere. Welcome to the line of fire. Hi, Dr. Brown. Hey. Uh, just wanted to call and see how you would recommend consoling someone whose uh, partner, spouse, died, and uh, the remaining spouse had prayed for the salvation of that other one for over a decade, uh, 40 years, and the person died denying Christ. Mm. And, of course, that's breaking the heart of the other spouse, the remaining spouse, and who that was their number one prayer yeah. for over four decades. How do you console saying you will never, obviously, I mean, she'll never see that their spouse again. And, um, you know, they're, you know, I've been trying to wrestle with it to see what to say. And, you know, it's interesting because I have no idea what happened to the Apostle Paul's parents or family and, um, you know, loved ones, you know, and nor the other apostles, you know, I know a little bit, you know, Peter's wife obviously was in the faith, but, uh, and just, you know, Jesus said, you know, talked about who, who is my brother and who is, uh, my mother, you know, when they came for him and is, is those who do the will yeah. of God, but all of those things don't, they seem empty <laughs> trying yes. to console someone, you know? Yes, it's, so it's, I wanted to get your advice. There's not an easy answer. To, to such a painful question. I, I will share a couple of things with you, but there's no easy answer or, or magic bullet here that's going to solve everything and the pain and the grief. Paul said in Romans 9 that he was in continual sorrow for his own people. He wished he, he could be cut off from the Messiah for them to be saved. So it, it, elsewhere, he writes to the Corinthians and said that he was sorrowful yet always rejoicing. 
And I, when I've read that, I thought I, probably sorrowful because it was Jewish people not being saved. So it was a wound. It was a burden that he carried. There's always the temptation to try to find some ray of hope somewhere. But if the person dies denying the Lord, we don't have that ray of hope. And we're not going to create a new theology where they'll get another chance in the world to come or, well, eventually everyone will be saved. You know, we can't rewrite the Bible because of the pain that we're in. And the closest I can come to this personally was when my dad died suddenly in 77. He had started reading the New Testament. He And he was just 63 years old. He started reading the New Testament. I remember him saying, when am I going to feel something? He was open. He would come and hear me preach, but he clearly wasn't a believer at that point, but was open seeking, fully received me as a believer, and then died suddenly because I thought praying, progress is being made, and then, then he's gone. So I don't know what happened in his final minutes. I don't know what happened between him and God before he left this world. So I ha- had to leave it as a question mark. But then the agony is he lost forever. Will I never see him again? And, and so all the more would I be feeling this if, if it's, it's my spouse and I was praying for my spouse for 40 years and then they die rejecting the Lord. That's your number one prayer. I mean, obviously, terribly, terribly painful. The only thing... That, that I would say is that I learned to trust that whatever God does is good. I don't mean that God damned her husband to hell and that's why her prayers didn't avail. Her prayers didn't avail because he refused to bend the knee and humble himself before the Lord and believe for whatever reason. You know, he rejected God's grace, which God made available to him. But what's God going to do and how will God treat him? And what will the sentence be and what will happen? So what I would just encourage her in the midst of the pain to say, look, we, the, just like the loss is painful. I mean, he's gone. There's that agony, right? And now the double agony of what happens to him. So it, it is agonizing. But I would just encourage you to say, number one, how has the father treated you all these years? How merciful has he been? How long suffering? How compassionate? how kind, how patient, that's who he is. So you can trust whatever he does is right and good. I determined that when I would stand before God and see his, the final destiny of my dad, then I would know whatever God does is good and right. Of course, deeply hoping that I'll see him and be with him forever. But that's the one thing. The other thing is that you, you have to tell her more than ever You know, God says that he's the husband of the widow and that her all in all has to be found in him. That whatever comfort she had in her husband is gone. Whatever camaraderie fellowship is gone. And that she has to get to that place of God, you have to help me because the pain is too deep. The grief is too much. You have to be my all in all. And and he can be that and will be that. Uh, And again, if, if I held to a theology that God predestined my spouse to damnation and therefore all my decades of prayer did nothing to change that, that would be very troubling to me. And of course, I don't see that scripturally with all respect to my Calvinist friends. But believing that it was ultimately his choice, her prayers obviously made an impact of, of softening his heart, of of bringing the gospel to him in different ways. I mean, you just assume if someone's praying all those years that you're praying according to the will of God. He commands us to pray for everyone to be saved. Uh, 
especially those close to us. So people still make their choices, tragically. So those are the only things I'd say. Number one, the character of God, to focus on that, because surely whatever he does is good and right. You know, in Judaism, when someone dies, your first words, Baruch Dayan Amet, blessed is the, the righteous judge or the truthful judge. And then may she find her all in all in the Lord. He can give supernatural comfort even when our minds can't conceive it. Hey, thank you for the call. May God's grace prevail. And by the way, many of us saved in Jewish homes or Muslim homes where there's not a history of believers before us. You wonder, okay, what happened to previous generations? So these are weighty questions that we wrestle with. 866-348-7884. Let's go to Rick in Albemarle, North Carolina. Welcome to the line of fire. Hey, Dr. Brown. uh, Really uh, enjoy listening to you and uh, just uh, being fed daily. Uh, If I don't get to listen to you, I've like missed part of my day. But uh, anyway, uh, I was talking with a lady the other day and... uh, down this way, and luckily she wasn't part of the once saved, always saved crowd that I've grown up around. But after we got to talking, she was mentioning about uh, her place being closed on Saturday and, uh, you know, observed the Sabbath. She's been to Bible college, and and then next thing you know, she, she thinks she needs to observe the Sabbath. But then she got talking about how she just loved the law. And, and it was almost like she was idolizing the law. And I, I just didn't really... And I, I've read some of Ephesians this morning that kind of back, you know, about observing day, the days and months and years and everything. Uh, but what's your point on that right there? I know we're not under the Sabbath anymore, but uh, she just, it's almost like she was a little too much into the law, or, or was I looking at her in the wrong way? Well, God knows her heart, right? You know, you may have rightly... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's a believer. Yeah, she loves no, no, Jesus. No, no, what I... doubt that a bit. I mean... Right, right. No, what I meant was you may have rightly discerned that she is putting the law in the wrong place in an unhealthy way, or you might have misjudged her. So I appreciate your humility in, in asking the question. But the Sabbath given by God, seventh day of the week, as a sign, covenantal sign to Israel, that never changed but God never commanded the New Testament church to observe the seventh-day Sabbath. And there was obviously flexibility with different cultures, different work situations and settings. And ultimately, we find our Sabbath rest in the Messiah. That's why there's no problem if Gentile Christians said, hey, Sunday is when we worship and gather and it's our day off from work. I don't believe God looks at that and says, that's no good. That's the wrong day of the week. What are you doing? Because as you said, God... God speaks other things to us in the New Testament. We're not under that obligation. Even Colossians 2, Paul warns people about being under the obligation to keep the Sabbath. Many people, Rick, when they rediscover the beauty and importance of Torah and the fact that this is not just negative, burden, bad, and that, you know, the feasts and holy days, God says, are his holy days, appointed times. So they they very much get into that and enjoy it, but then our identity can often shift from being uh, appreciative of the Torah to now being under the Torah. And our primary identity is found in observing Torah commandments as opposed to being in Messiah and being forgiven by his blood and living a new life in the new covenant by the spirit. And that's when it can become dangerous. I've seen it now for decades, especially being in the Messianic movement for so many years, 
that you will see Gentile Christians who get so excited about the law that next thing they're trying to live like Jews and they hardly share Jesus anymore. Uh, they, they won't even say, Jesus, I praise you because it's, it's too direct and that can sound like idolatry and, and they can fall into error. So there's a healthy appreciation of the beauty of God's commandments. There's a healthy appreciation of how this all points to Yeshua, the Messiah. And there's a healthy appreciation of how we now live it out in the newness of the spirit. But there are other things that can be unhealthy, and that would certainly be the concern, that the pendulum swings from throwing out the law to making the law central rather than Jesus central. Hey, thank you for the call. Appreciate it. Thanks for the kind words. Glad you enjoy listening to the broadcast. Okay, we're going to go right back to England on the other side of the break. But once again, we've got some phone lines open if you'd like to call 866-34-TRUTH. Now is a perfect time. We'll be right back. The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on the Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. You know, yesterday, late afternoon, I got an email from my own ministry announcing a video premiere of a great interview I'd done with Dr. Bob Gladstone, longtime colleague of mine, tremendous insight into the, the things of the Spirit and the things of the Word. And... I found out that that video was about to premiere because I got the email. So even though I lead the ministry, I don't know every detail of what everything's going to be posted. So you should get those emails too. If they inform me, they'll inform you. Ask drbrown.org, A-S-K-D-R-Brown.org. And when you go there, sign up for the emails. Also to everyone listening, if you just started listening now, in other words, you get the second half hour of our broadcast, say KDKR in in a DFW area, there are going to be some programming changes on KDKR that that um, impact when you hear the show. But fear not, you can listen to the whole hour on podcast on your cell phone, live or at any time. Just get the Line of Fire app. That's Android or Apple Line of Fire. All right, and you can even just press one button to call in during that. So. That's available to you, or you can watch live. So it'll be 2 to 3 Central Standard Time. You can watch live the entire hour at Ask Dr. Brown on YouTube or Ask Dr. Brown on Facebook. So you don't have to miss a moment, even if our programming time changes on your channel. With that, 866-34-TRUTH. Any question of any kind that you want to ask me, some controversies I'm involved with. If you want to ask me, probe, find out, by all means, give me a call, 866-34-TRUTH. We go to London. Mario, thanks for holding. Welcome to the line of fire. Thank you very much, Dr. Brown, for getting the call. Uh, before asking the question, I want to say I just had my first uh, born child yesterday, a baby huh. boy called uh, Giovanni Davide, which is Italian for John David. If yes. I love my life, would absolutely love it. Yes. Wonderful. Well, we Thank rejoice you. with you. That's, you know, we've gotten thousands of calls over the years, but I don't remember everyone, anyone ever calling and saying they just had a firstborn the day before. Your, your, your wife doing well, baby doing well? We, yes, very good, very good. My wife came to faith 
uh, in the last probably 18 months. And, you know, you were so much of help. And, uh, you know, she, we absolutely love your show and we listen to it all the time. So she will love, she will love to hear, uh, uh, you know. Your, your, uh, oh, yeah. And well, then, I, I'm thrilled to hear <laughs> that. It brings me great joy for all of you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Nice, everyone. So my question, and um, it's a little bit difficult, so uh, maybe I won't present it in the clearest way. Uh, so there are some passages in the Bible which seems to me to be some form of hidden prophecy about the Messiah. One uh, that I really like is Genesis 5, uh, which talks about, if you actually take the names of the genealogy between Adam to Noah, it seems you can render uh, the kind of the meaning of the name. says, the blessed God will come down as a teacher so that his teaching is dead, will bring the despairing peace, or something like this. So, first of all, I wanted to ask you, what do you think about these arguments? Are these valid arguments? And if they are valid arguments, why are they not used in apologetics? Because it seems to me, especially with our Jewish friends, uh, to be very powerful arguments. And thank you very much. Yeah, so, Mario, you're still going to love me even if I, I burst this bubble and disappoint you, right? Yes, 100%. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, it, it's, it's not true. It's, it's not accurate. That's why you don't see it used in, in serious academic apologetics and messianic prophecy. It's, it's more a pop thing. You'll hear a pastor say from the pulpit, and he read it on, online. First, you have to read a lot into the meaning of the names. Uh, in other words, you could, you could read this genealogy a thousand times over in Genesis 5, and it wouldn't dawn on you. It wouldn't dawn on you that there is some kind of secret gospel message of being found that you really have to read a lot into it. But then when you break it down, one of the, one of the key names is Methuselah, right? So, so Methuselah in, in Hebrew, that's one of the key names there. And in, in point of fact, it doesn't mean what it's supposed to mean. Yeah, I'm just looking at one website that presents it, death shall send forth. No, the, the mate part is not death there, but for everything we can tell from comparative uh, Semitic names. It's man, meaning man of, mate can be dead or death in Hebrew, or uh, mate can be man. It goes to another root. It's probably man of the spear, man of the sword. That's what it means. So just that one breaks everything down. This is supposedly death sent forth. Is that no, nothing to do with that. So, and, and then some of the others are, are really forced along the way. So as much as it sounds cool, I, I'll make a confession to you. I was sitting with a pastor of a good-sized church, I won't even say where, in America some years ago, and he just happened to reference this, how excited he was about this, and, and just in passing. And I, I didn't have the opportunity then to tell him it wasn't true. You know, I just let it go past. But no, it's, it's, it's not a hidden preaching of the gospel. That's why you don't see it in serious apologetics. And ultimately, some of the names just break down. They don't, they don't mean what they're supposed to mean. So sorry about that one. But having been studying Scripture 50-plus years, I keep seeing more amazing things that are there. So even though some of these aren't real, the real ones are amazing. So keep digging. You'll keep finding more, okay? I will. Thank you very much, Dr. Brian. At the end of the day, we have to seek for truth, right? Yeah, exactly. The more we seek for truth, the more... The better, yes, and the, the better we become, we're sharing the, the, the gospel, right? Exactly. All right, God bless you. Thank you, sir. Blessings on this wonderful family. Oh, what a, what a sweet call. My heart is warmed by all that. By the way, you have no idea what happens when I'll shoot down one of these myths. Not this one in particular, but say that the, the Hebrew letters 
actually have hidden pictographic meanings that we can find to this day and that that expands the meaning of the word and opens. And when we refute that, it's, just, it's bogus. It's as bogus as that I'm Elvis Presley. It's that bogus. And there's not a legitimate Hebrew scholar in the world that would argue for that. In any case, we, I, you have no idea the way I got attacked for putting out a video on that. I don't mind it. That's, that's, I'm a big boy. That's not a problem. But you, sometimes you shoot down people's pet peeves and their theories and, and they flip and they call you a heretic. It's like a, a, heretic for, a heretic for telling you what the Hebrew words mean. So anyway, thankfully, those who want truth welcome it. It's like, no, that's, that's not accurate, but there are beautiful, accurate things even more powerful. Uh, let us go to SJ in Tampa Bay, Florida. Welcome to the line of fire. Hi, thank you. And I've, you, I've had you on my channel before, Dr. Brown, so you know who I am. <laughs> oh, I, okay. I love the work that you do. Thank you. I absolutely love the work that you do. And I, I wanted to ask you, I, I have over the years, a lot of atheists have gotten on Twitter and they ask me the same question that they think is a gotcha question based on Abraham and his son. And they say, what would you do if God commanded you to sacrifice your only son or your one of your sons, what would you do? And they say, well, of course, I say, well, God would never ask me that, so that's not a concern, but they think that's not a very good answer. So I'm wondering how you would answer this question. No, you, you are right in, in answering it. In other words, God has revealed plainly that he does not want us to do that and that he forbade Israel from sacrificing their children and that he even brought heavy judgment on Israel when they did sacrifice their children. And he even made provision under the law since he said the firstborn belongs to me, that when it comes to a child, that child is not sacrificed. Rather, you sacrifice an animal in their behalf. So by Abraham doing what he did, and then by laws being established, God would have to contradict himself. He has given all the laws. He has given his ethical commands. He has said throughout the Bible various things against this, whereas that did not exist in Abraham's day. Abraham did not have that information that we have. You know, it's, it's just like if there's a road you pass by and there's no stoplight there, you drive a certain speed. When there's a stoplight, there's a red, okay, now you know. So these things were given subsequently to Israel, and therefore we, we have the revelation. So the very Bible that tells us about God's existence tells us, for example, that we're not to murder. So it would be the same as what if I felt God told me to commit adultery? What if God told me to murder? What if God told me to steal? No to all of them, because he's already spoken. And as far as Abraham is concerned, what does it say? God tested him, because that was never his desire. And Abraham was sure that one way or another, he was coming back with Isaac. So you just have to say, are you using the Bible to raise the argument? Yes, well, the Bible answers that argument. So they can either accept it or not. If they, if they reject the Bible, that's fine, they're atheists. But if they're going to use the Bible to raise an argument, then in the same way, they can't reject the answer that's found within the Bible. The other thing is this. Uh, I had a guy, an atheist I was debating on a TV show last year, and he said, God told the children of Israel to kill the Canaanites. What if God told you to kill me? I said, well, he wouldn't because you're not like the Canaanites. You're not doing what they did. God waited 400 years until their transgressions reached a certain point. I said, if I was a soldier in the army and you were an ISIS terrorist about to kill someone 
and God told me to kill you as a soldier in the army, that would be a righteous, good thing to do. You're about to kill innocent children, and I'm a sniper, and I can take you out. That's a good and righteous thing to do, but God would never tell us to murder someone. So sometimes it's just you know, a flippant argument, and the answer is, is very simple and straightforward. And if they reject it, they reject it. In other words, you're not necessarily going to convince them. But the same Bible that tells us that story tells us it was a test, and then God subsequently makes clear under no circumstances that he, does he want us to do that. So we have his answer already. Oh, well, thank you so much. This very perfect answer. I really appreciate it. Sure thing. And, you know, look, often we know the answer, and we give it, and when someone pushes back, we're looking for a better one. But sometimes it's just the same simple truth. Hey, listen, friends, if you're watching on YouTube or Facebook, would you take a moment Click like, thumbs up on YouTube. On Facebook, click share. All right, just helps us to reach even more people. I should have mentioned that at the outset, but I'm going to try to grab some questions from social media, Facebook or YouTube. So if you have a question for me in the last segment, I'm going to see if I can grab some of your social media questions. So post them right now because time is real short on YouTube or Facebook, and I'll see if I can grab a few in the next segment. All right, let's go to Angela in Alexandria, Virginia. Welcome to the line of fire. Hi, good afternoon, Dr. Brown. Thank you for taking my call. Well, you know what? Hang on. This is really rude, but I got a break coming up in a few seconds, in 10 seconds. So if you don't mind, please stay right there. I'm going to get the scripture verse ready that you want to talk about. And as soon as we come back, I apologize for bringing you on right before the break. As soon as we come back, I go straight to you. Thanks for your patience. I'll be right back. The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on the Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks for joining us on the Line of Fire. You've got questions. We've got answers. Let's go over to Angela in Alexandria. All right. Thanks so much. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Oh, thanks again, Dr. Brown. Sure thing. Uh, so, the, this particular scripture, I'm, I'm using this um, in regards to, uh, I have a discussion often with someone very close to me uh, in the life of a believer dealing with trials and adversities. And, and of course, we, we know New uh, Testament scriptures about, you know, our fight is not against flesh and blood, uh, mm -hmm. uh, believers, uh, and the constant spiritual battle that, you know, we're in. And so uh, this scripture seems to be something that the, this person that's close to me um, wants to apply uh, to their own life uh, because, you know, this happened with Solomon. Why can't, you know, they experience a life without adversity being a believer? <laughs> so I, I was wondering how, how would you you know, answer to this, because it, it, to me it sounds like a little immature, 
as yeah. well, or a, a cop out, or <laughs> a little too idealistic. Right. Right. So, number one, the verse in First Chronicles twenty-two nine, which you reference. God telling David, you'll have a son who'll be a man at rest, for I'll give him rest from all his enemies on all sides. Solomon will be his name. I shall confer confer peace and quiet on Israel in his time. Yes, Solomon's kingdom was so powerful that he didn't have to do war with his enemies until later, you know, when he was really in a bad spiritual condition. But he had all kinds of personal adversity. He had all kinds of personal issues, you know, and he ended up uh, following idols and and sinning sexually, etc., so, uh, and, and obviously there's got to be pride behind that. Jesus tells us plainly in John 16, 33, to his disciples, but certainly applicable to us. He tells us plainly, in this world, you will have trouble, but be of good cheer, be encouraged, I've overcome the world. That's just reality. Uh, Paul says in, in Acts 14, we must pass through many tribulations to enter the kingdom of God. Jacob, James, the first chapter, uh, first Peter, they talk about the trying of our faith, the testing of our faith, and have to, we have to go through that to mature and grow. Romans 5 says that going through difficult times produces perseverance, and perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. So for sure, in this world, we will have trouble, difficulty. Now, it could well be that one generation experiences different than another, Right. That, you know, for me, for example, part of my calling is to be engaged in 24 seven controversy and polemics and all of that. And that hasn't been the calling for my daughters. You know, that hasn't been Nancy's main calling, but it's mine. So in other words, everyone has their own journey, but a life without conflict, a life without warfare is a life that we are already deceased, (laughs) that we are we are not in this world. And, and if she could just understand, okay, there are, there are hellish seasons we pass through and we hope to never go through them again. And we learn what we can from them to grow. But there are things I've, I've been through. I hope to God I never, ever have to live through them again. They were miserable and difficult and dark and painful. At the same time, I know there's testing every day and I, I learn to rejoice in it. And it's just like, you know, working out, no pain, no gain. I mean, literally the other day I was working out, he's getting older, it's harder to get muscle tone and things like that. And I was just saying to myself, you're not gonna make any progress at 67 unless you hurt yourself a little more. You, you, you go through a little more pain to get the desired result. You gotta push a little harder. So yeah, just, just love on her, patiently help her to realize in this world there's trouble. Jesus said it, show her the verse, John 16, 33, but be encouraged, he's overcome the world. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. You are are very, very welcome. God bless. Uh, Okay. I'm going to grab a couple of social media questions now. And still there's time if you, if you post something on, uh, on Facebook or on YouTube in our live feed right now, I can get to your question. Um, I was asked this having written an article regarding some recent comments of Pastor Greg Locke and, and he and I are now in private communication, and hopefully it will lead to a, 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 a broadcast together where we talk things uh, some through very, very honestly. Um, but he asked, do I consider Greg Locke a Trumpist uh, and one of those whose prophecies did not come true? 
because I, I can't interact by phone now, I don't know exactly what you mean by Trumpist. Certainly, he was a strong Trump supporter. Uh, but was he wrong in saying that Joe Biden would not be elected? Was he wrong in saying that Joe Biden would never serve a day in the White House? Was he wrong in saying that Donald Trump would be inaugurated in January of last year? Yes, he was, he was wrong on those points, plainly, flatly wrong. You said the election was stolen. Whether it was or not is not the issue. Here, if, if I guarantee you that there will be a car in your driveway a brand new pickup truck in your driveway tomorrow at noon. It is my gift to you. And I buy it for you and I send it to you and I guarantee it. And along the way, the, the, the driver decides to steal the car and take it for himself and it never gets to you. Well, I intended well, but what I guaranteed did not happen. So in the same way, whether you believe the election was stolen or not, if someone guarantees Trump will serve eight consecutive years, if someone guarantees Joe Biden will not serve a day in the White House, they got it wrong. That's not the end of the world if they got it wrong. People can get things wrong. People can really believe something is going to happen. It doesn't. You humble yourself. You get to the root of why you got it wrong. You publicly apologize. You step back from making pronouncements in, until you get certain things clear and in order in terms of where the error came from. But of course, of course, you deal with it, address it. So that's, that's clear. He got that wrong. And rather than saying he got it wrong, he just said the election was stolen. Biden's a fake president, which does not address whatsoever what was spoken. I don't condemn him for getting that wrong. Again, people can make mistakes. Every one of us, if we speak long enough, will make some mistakes. And, and we'll, we'll misrepresent something that's important to the Lord. We humble ourselves, we learn from it, and we go forward. Uh, let's see. Henry on YouTube. The concept of Maris Ion exists in the first century. Romans 14, did the Jewish Christians avoid wine because of the principle of Maris Ion like Jews might today? Uh, I just want to check one thing as we're speaking here. Yeah. Oh, okay. Just, just wanted to, um, as you were spelling it in, in Ashkenazi, and I'm used to seeing and thinking of this with a Sephardi pronunciation. Uh, so Marit Ayan, then uh, Ashkenazi is, is Maris Ayan. So to give you a legal definition online, a concept in in Halakha Jewish law, which states that certain actions which might seem to observe as to be in violation of Jewish law, but in reality are fully permissible, are themselves not allowed due to rabbinic enactments that were put in place to prevent onlookers from arriving at a false conclusion. For example, according to the Torah law, the blood of an animal is forbidden to eat, but the blood of a fish is permissible. However, according to the principle of Marit Ayan, or Maris Ayan, it is forbidden to eat the blood of a fish as an onlooker may believe the blood being eaten is from an animal, and may thus believe that animal blood is allowed to be eaten. So it wouldn't be a direct application in that no one differed with whether you could drink wine at all. That was not a major debate in ancient Judaism, but drunkenness was forbidden. But wine was part of various ritual observances, like on the Passover and things like that. So that, that to me would not be a direct application because it has to do with my liberty causing someone else to stumble. So it's, it's a related concept, 
but not the same. That being said, I know of no evidence, halakhic legal evidence, that that principle was being taught in the first century. It's possible because we don't know how far something goes back. In other words, the tradition may be written in the year 500, but if you don't find things contradicting it steadily, it, it could have been passed on orally before then, just not written until a certain time. If you see complete unawareness of something, no evidence that anyone held to certain things, then you question, you say, okay, perhaps it's a later tradition. So, yeah, I, I would say, number one, it's not really applicable. Number two, we don't have evidence of that existing in the first century to the best of my knowledge. Hey, friends, we are so grateful for the good reports you send us. We are so grateful for the words of encouragement you send us, letting us know how we've been a blessing to you. We simply say, if we've blessed you, help us to bless others. Help us to expand our reach to touch many, many, many more lives. You can do that by joining our support team, investing a dollar a day. Best investment you can make of a dollar that I can think of, and I'm not a financial guy, but boy, investing in eternal souls, investing in lives that will be changed forever, investing in bringing the good news to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, investing in pushing back against the, the corruption and sin of our culture. Together, friends, we make a great, great difference. And as one of our monthly supporters, Torchbearers, we pour back into many, many different ways every month. So go to askdrbrown.org, askdrbrown.org. Click on Donate Monthly. That's askdrbrown.org. Click on Donate Monthly and join our support team. Back with you on Monday. Another program powered by the Truth Network.